I'm a big believer that the more that you read, the smarter that you get. And so the more that you're able to read and take in and learn from other people's in, don't get me wrong. There's some bullshit books out there too. Uh, you know, so you kind of go through those and cipher those out as you read them. But, uh, I just like to get into a good mindset. And I think that those really help me do that a lot. And like I said, I just like to take away that knowledge and kind of compare that. What did this book tell me? What did this book tell me? What fits best in you know, what I'm doing? And um, there's just a lot of different philosophies out there. As we kind of get into more modern times, there's a lot more authors that are younger and that are saying more controversial things. And you know, I don't know. I just think reading is one of those things like a buffet table. You take what you want and you leave what you don't. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We've got a great show for you today. Today, we have Cody Velker, whose definition of excellence includes being the best person he can be in all categories of life and doing better every day. Cody's going to talk about daily reading, daily thinking, daily journaling, and really working to get ahead. He's an engineer by schooling but a real estate entrepreneur uh, in his career. He's going to talk about wholesale real estate, flipping and holding. He's going to talk about using other people's money. And we're going to get into the five Fs, focus on family, faith, friends, fitness, and finance. we got a great show. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Cody Velker, thank you for making time from what must not be too hot, Scottsdale, Arizona, near beautiful Phoenix, but even more beautiful in the sun, probably getting ready to play golf on the weekend. Uh, thank you for making time and joining us on the Edge of Excellence. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm, uh, I'm excited to do it. Well, I'm excited that after, I don't know how long I've known you, but it's been a long time. I'm excited that today in the warm up for this call, I pronounced your name the way I used to pronounce it and you didn't correct me, but I heard you pronounce it right. It's not Volker, V-O-E-L-K-E-R, like it's spelled, it's Velker. And if you're yeah. looking to find him after this show, you can find him on Instagram. You can find him on Close Fast Get Cash. It's pronounced Velker, but it's spelled V-O-E-L-K-E-R. And before we get into any more of this weird stuff, let's get your definition of excellence. That's the way we always start the show. Uh, I would say that my definition of excellence is just trying to be the best person that you can be every single day in all the different categories of your life. You know, for me, I would say that that's faith, business, relationships, and just trying to kind of do something every single day that pushes you. And just comparing yourself to how you were yesterday. And that would be what I would say is my definition. And when you say compare yourself to how you were yesterday, what are you doing when you're comparing? How are you gauging and what are you looking for? 
So I'm trying to compare, like, did I get better to, like today from where I was yesterday? Right. Like, did I go to the gym? Did I do my reading? Did I like make progress in my business? Did I make progress in my relationships? Like, am I getting better as a person every single day? And that's what I kind of compare myself to is like, where was I at yesterday? What did I know? What do I now know today? What mistakes did I make yesterday that I learned from, et cetera, et cetera? Like, how am I getting better every single day? All right. Let's just take a pause on that reading thing. So you go to work every day. You try to do better than yesterday. You're probably educating yourself through some reading, but I don't think that's what you were talking about. You wake up in the morning, you think about how did, how did I treat my girlfriend yesterday? How did I treat my business associates? Am I living the life I want to live? Am I leaving the wake I want to leave? You go to the gym so you can have those giant Scottsdale muscles. And as my business partner, Spence, said, you got to be able to prop up those nice clothes. So if you're buying the nice clothes, you got to have the body to prop it up. So are my muscles bigger? Is my skin clear? What's the reading about? So I would say that, you know, every like CEO, I think on average, like reads, I think like 52 books a year, somewhere in that, you know, range. No, no, they don't read 52. I probably know more CEOs than most people from Mm -hmm. my traveling around the world. They do read a lot, but 52 books a year, they do not read a book a week. I know that probably a book a month, maybe, but continue. So you're reading business books. Mm-hmm. Typically business books and mindset books. So I'm just trying to get into like understanding different business philosophies and getting into understanding like energy and mindsets. Mm-hmm. And so I try and read things that are like good for my mental energy and good for mm-hmm. my business. And then I also read like relationship based books and things like that too. So I'm just trying to like, I'm a big believer that the more that you read, the smarter that you get. And so the more that you're able to read and take in and learn from other people's in, don't get me wrong, there's some bullshit books out there too. Uh, you know, so you kind of go through those and cipher those out as you read them. But uh, I just like to get into a good mindset. And I think that those really help me do that a lot. And like I said, I just like to take away that knowledge and kind of compare that. What did this book tell me? What did this book tell me? What fits best in you know, what I'm doing? And um, there's just a lot of different philosophies out there. As we kind of get into more modern times, there's a lot more authors that are younger and that are saying more controversial things. And, you know, I don't know. I just think reading is one of those things like a buffet table. You take what you want and you leave what you don't. And yeah. I just try and do as much of that as I can. I don't do it like crazy. You know, I try and get through like 20, 25 books a year. So That's crazy, dude. That's a lot. Good for you. That's a uh, lot of learning. So you're basically yeah. giving yourself a master's degree. If you think about how much time you're going to spend studying for a master's and you go to school and you pay, and it's nice to have the stamp that you have, whatever the master's degree is, but you and I kind of created our own through our own reading and positive. This, this whole podcast is about what do you do to get where you are and you're where people want to be. There's a lot of 20 something year olds that want to be running a real estate investment company. They want to be improving the neighborhoods and improving people's life by fixing up some houses and either holding them and renting them like you do or flipping them like you also do. There's a lot of people that want to do that. So as you're looking at that career and you're listening to to this, this in your car right now and you're on 1.5 speed wondering how did Cody do it? Well, we're going to get to how he did it, but how he's maintaining it and how he's continuing to grow is you're constantly educating yourself and and the positive mentality. So I'm sure that some of your faith uh, based reading uh, helps you with the positive mentality. And, And I'm not a religious guy, but I believe in 
I believe in positive mentality. I'm a spiritual person. I like to understand all the different religions. I'm not a one religious guy. I'm kind of an all religion person. So what sort Mm -hmm. of things are you reading for positive mentality? So, you know, like you said, faith-based things. um, And I put, you know, a lot of like my trust and my faith in God. And so I'm reading like right now, um, me and my girlfriend and like our church is doing uh, like a 30 days with God. So we're reading like one devotional a day, basically, and then like journaling about it. And then we're actually reading a uh, Christian marriage um, book right now. And we're not, you know, married or engaged or anything, but we're just kind of like, you know, moving and taking the proper steps towards kind of getting that. And so we're learning a little bit about that and what the Bible says about marriage and stuff like that. And so that kind of helps us out a lot because I think in today's day and age, one thing that I'm noticing is that, you know, society has its own spinoff on what relationships and what career and what life should look like. And in our opinion, right? Like that's not necessarily what, you know, God says it should look like. And so we're kind of taking a look at both of those and comparing those to try and create like what we really want in a relationship together. I'll also read, you know, different mindset books, um, some that'll take about psychology, uh, meditating, things like that. And, you know, sometimes I just like to read something that's just positive, like someone that just, you know, took a business and went through a lot of hard times. And, you know, now they have like a multi-million dollar company that they've run when they're, you know, in their thirties after they've gone through all of this turmoil and where they came from and all that stuff. And it's just kind of like a motivational thing too. Yeah, it's hard to wake up every day and compare yourself to yesterday and actually get better every day if you're not doing something. So it's one thing to say, hey, my definition of excellence is to be the best you can be in all categories. And I want to be better every day. Yeah, it's easy to say it. It's a whole different ball game to actually do it. So you list family, faith, uh, relationships, which could be friends, business. You have to think about it every day. You have to study something or someone. You, you mentioned meditation. You also mentioned daily. You're reading something daily. You mentioned journaling. So there's this guy, Warren Rustin, that I used to know, who's from Arizona, actually. And he said that every day, um, read, think, and write. Uh, and he spends 30 minutes, read, think, and write. So you're doing the same thing. You read. You journal about it. You're writing, you're thinking. And what I love, I love the marriage counseling or the um, studying up on what it means to be married before you get married. Begin with the end of time. Now, by the way, if you're listening on 1.5 speed, don't do that with the significant other you started dating last week. That's totally weird. (laughs) (laughs) But when you've been in it for a while and you're going down that path, Why wouldn't you? I always recommend if you're married and I've been married for 24 years, go do marriage counseling. And if you've got a a church that offers it even better, do it every year to prevent yourself from needing it. Do it before you get married. Prevent yourself from having an emergency. Well, we're getting a little sidetracked, but I love that. You want to be the best person you can be in all categories. You want to compare yourself to yesterday. Did I get better? And, you know, physically, it's a little bit easier to measure than mentally. But, you know, you're progressing if you're studying and you're journaling and you're thinking. But long before you became this super wise, super successful, super old 25 year old, you had to kind of develop these habits and develop these systems. So let's go way back. Let's go way back into Michigan. You went to high school in Michigan, right? Yep. 
Where? What town was it? Uh, it's called Pigeon, Michigan. It's a farm town, actually, about three hours north of Detroit, up in the tip of the thumb, you know, 15 minutes off of Lake Huron. There's like 1,200 people in my town and 900 or uh, 90 people-ish that I graduated with. Okay, so I've heard of every town in Michigan except for Pigeon. I've been all over Michigan and that Grand Rapids Lake area where I go visit my buddy Dart and Case and I had 4th of July there. There's nothing better than a 4th of July on the lake in Michigan or Kansas. I've done it in both places. Unbelievable experience. So you're growing up in this small little town in Michigan. You don't really know what's out there. All of a sudden you end up in Lansing and you're I don't know how big the school is, but maybe 40,000 people go to that school. A, a huge amount. I think it's, yeah, it's a lot. It's 50 or 60, I think, total. If Whoa. You online people. Well, so that, yes. that, that was a big. whole different world to you. Uh, yeah. What was life like in high school in that small town before you went off to Lansing? What were you doing? How did you see yourself? What was going on? Man, I was sports, sports, sports. You know, it's a small town. So like everybody knows everybody, everybody's in your business. Everybody knows what you've got going on. And I was just like sports and academics, you know, and just trying to stay out of all the gossip and trying to stay out of all the shit that everybody was you know, doing and going on. I really didn't party a whole lot in college or uh, in high school at all. Um, cause I was like, you know, I ended up getting a full scholarship to go to school and I was afraid if I got caught, you know, the way that it goes around the scholarship committee that I was going, that I was applying for, uh, would get wind of that and I'd, you know, lose all chance of getting my scholarship. So I just was sports. I was an all-state athlete. You know, I played baseball and I was a pitcher, you know, and I considered going to college to play baseball at a smaller school and stuff, but I ended up getting my scholarship, you know, to go to Michigan state on a full academic scholarship for four years. And so I ended up doing that instead, but man, I was just sports, sports, sports. And I don't know, school was pretty easy for me. So I just did school and graduated with over a 4.0 and I just love sports and hang out with my friends. So did a lot of hunting and fishing. So your focus back then, your focus, your, yeah. so you started off with a long-term vision. You started off thinking about the future. You started off thinking is future Cody going to be happy with present Cody? Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing to ask yourself. Is future you going to be happy with what present you is doing? So you realize I got to stay away from all those dudes smoking all that weed. I got to stay away from those people that are, you know, vandalizing or whatever they're doing. I'm going to focus and hang out with people that are lifting me up and supporting me. So you have your teams. Um, you had your focus, probably had a lot of support from your parents. And next thing you know. You're rewarded for your focus. You're rewarded for your diligence. You're rewarded for your forward thinking. And someone pays for you to go to college because they think, hey, this dude, Cody, this dude, Cody is going to make a mark on the world. Let's give him a little leg up. Let's pay for him to go to college. So you go to beautiful Lansing, uh, which, by the way, every time I've been to Lansing, I've been stuck in Lansing because it's so cold and snowing when I've been there. So you go there in the summer, you go there in the fall, you go there in the spring. It's looking awesome. You're already used to it in the winter. I was kind of shocked because I live in California. And what was life like in Lansing? What were you doing there? What were you studying? Man, life was awesome. I really enjoyed college, uh, especially in East Lansing. It was a great place. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just moved from a 1,300-person town way yeah. up in the very cold north. I think where you're from is kind of as north as you can get in the United States, isn't it? Yeah, for the most part. You can go, like, even more northern, you know, up into Michigan. 
but like I'm on a peninsula up in the thumb, so it was windy and dude, windy, the, it, cold. like it was just brutal. Like you'd you know you'd be driving on the roads, and if you went over 40 miles, depending on what kind of car you drove, you know my first car was like a little Cadillac CTS rear wheel drive. And so I'd fishtail all over the place. Uh, so getting up into Lansing, it wasn't as windy. So it was a little bit nicer actually in the winter times than it was where I was from. And you um, could get lost. You couldn't yeah. get lost in your town. You go to a school, yeah. you can get lost. You can hide out. You can be under the radar. But I don't think that's probably a little bit. You did that sometimes. What was going on in school? What were you studying? And uh, what were you doing to get ahead and get noticed? So I was studying applied engineering. And I really had no idea why. So like a backtrack, my scholarship only, I was only allowed to get my scholarship if I went to school for a hard science at Michigan State. Okay. So I originally was going to like go into some type of business accounting or something like that. And then to go to apply for my scholarship, I had to switch to hard science. So I switched into engineering, ended up getting my scholarship. And I was like, well, I'm going to get an engineering degree now, like whatever. And so my freshman year um, was just a lot of like kind of acclimating to, you know, being around so many new people. Nobody knew really anybody and just did like my style changed, my lingo changed, like everything was just so different. And I loved it. I kind of fell in love with like not knowing everybody around, not being in like that small town area. So, you know, I was hanging out with friends and I was meeting people in the dorms. I was going to class. I was having a little bit of fun, you know, going to like some small parties and stuff and just kind of getting used to it, getting used to the classes, you know, um, and the professors and the lectures and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I ended up doing an interview and, um, you know, I went into college works my freshman year and, you know, kind of fell in love with business after that and sales and management and kind of everything that came with that. So that's, I guess what I kind of did. And, you know, I got good grades my first two years of school. <laughs> Not the last two. Oh, the last two I was, you know, the last two, the, I mean, my la in my junior year, I was senior. I was a senior district manager for College Works, and so that was my best year. I did like 800k in sales, and I was district manager of the year. That was back in 2018, I think. That's how yeah, you probably put 50 grand in your pocket as a junior. I made 80 grand that year. 80 grand, um, okay. Yeah, I made <laughs> 80 grand. It's hard. To, it's hard. I, I had that same problem. I made 42 grand my junior year, and I had to take this Spanish class. And I kept not going to class, and they kept not letting me pass the Spanish class. So finally, I went to the lady, and this is back at the dawn of time. I said, look, I made 42 grand last year. I already have a job and a career. This is my last class I have to take. Can you please just grade me on the test? Because I can't come to school anymore. I hate it. So yeah. you're, you're making 80 grand your junior year driving a Cadillac mm -hmm. CTS, which is kind of a cool car to have as a first car. My first mm -hmm. car was like $400. So I'm kind of jealous. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe the grades didn't matter so much anymore, but keep going with what you're doing. You're, uh, you're doing the college works gig, getting some sales skills, getting some business experience, but you had to finish that engineering degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up my senior year. I kind of forego the whole thing. I didn't do college works anymore. And uh, to be honest, I just took it as like kind of a chill and like party year for me. I went out to the bars a lot. I met a lot of cool people. Um, and I started kind of exploring what I wanted to do my senior year. You know, I had good scholars. I was good at sales. I ended up interviewing with a company out of Chicago to do tech sales. They made me a job offer over six figures my first year out of college. And uh, I kind of went through a lot of turmoil deciding what I was going to do. And I ended up turning down that offer and I ended up going to work as an unpaid internship that I created 
for a real estate investor, a commercial guy that lived out in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I ended up deciding I was going to do that. I was learning about real estate investing through you know social media and YouTube and stuff like that while I was in college, my senior year. And then, yeah, I just elected to like, hey, you know, I didn't want to go corporate America route. And so I just kind of took the leap of faith. I had a lot of money saved up. I didn't pay for college and I made great money all throughout college. You know, I pretty much bought what I wanted when I, when I wanted it. You know, I had made a lot of money with college works and saved up a lot of money too. So, you know, I was fine. I was like, if I don't make money for two years out of college, I don't really care. I was like, I have plenty of reserves and I was like, take the risk now while I'm young. And by the way, I'm regretting bringing you on the show because I'm, first of all, this is the start of my day. We record and we, and it, and it airs later. So I'm starting my day with this horrible memory. And I remember you took a year off. Like I want to reach <laughs> through the screen and strangle you right now. So I know most people that listen to the show don't work at college works, but if you're working at college works and you're thinking about taking a year off, I will strangle you. <laughs> we needed one more year out of you, Cody. You didn't need a year off. You needed another hundred grand. And then, and I know college works is a stepping stone organization. So everybody goes off and does wonderful things. And I love hearing the stories, but I remember the pain of you heading off to green Bay. And I'm really glad it worked out for you, but I would have loved another few years with you. Anyway, we won't talk about me anymore. So you're in college. You all of a sudden are surrounded by, I guess, 50 times, 40 times as many people as you had in your entire town growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you said your style changed and your lingo changed. And that's interesting. You know, there's some people that live in rural areas of the world, rural areas of America. And then all of a sudden you come into the big city and you've got you know, people from all over, you know, the country and, you know, there's kind of an accepted conduct in business. You can't come in, you know, not speaking the language. You can't come in with the slang. Everybody kind of assimilates to, you know, a certain attire, you know, you've got to kind of dress the part, you got to talk the part. So when you came in from the rural areas where where did you find that you kind of had a funny accent and a funny dress and you kind of assimilated to, I guess I could say in quotations, what the man expects, you you kind of had to conform a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel that I had to conform. It was more of something that I was just never exposed to. And like knowing myself now, it fits my personality and it fits my like personal style a lot more. But like, I dude, I grew up wearing like loose blue jeans, like, and like, you know, gym shoes or like work boots and like a camo sweatshirt. And like, I was either wearing athletic wear or I was wearing like hunting gear like to high school every single day. So like I moved and I had like, you know, pretty much athletic wear or like, you know, blue jeans. And so I started to kind of see what other people were wearing and stuff. And I was like, Oh, like, you know, and how people were talking and, you know, so I didn't really have like a crazy accent. We're all from Michigan. You know, we have like a slight Michigan accent, I guess you could say now living in Arizona, people are like, you have a Michigan accent. I'm like, I I don't hear it, but you, you have to professionalize, right? So some people are wearing hunting gear. Uh, some people are wearing white shoes, which I guess is cool. Again, white shoes with light color, blue jeans, which isn't that cool. Then you got it on my end. You know, my son is, you know, got his bleach blonde hair and he wears his Yizzy jacket, which everybody thinks it's so cool. All these 20 year olds think it's so cool. I'm looking at this thing going, what the hell is that? He bought me a full length white down puffer jacket that says FTP all over it, uh, which is a brand. It doesn't have anything to do with the FTP with the police. It's a 
street brand like Supreme. But you got to cut your hair, dude. You got to get that bleach blonde out of there. Go back to your natural color. You got to put a button down shirt on when it comes time to go into the professional world. Business, yeah. You already got enough people that are prejudiced against you, right? You're already going to feel prejudice from just being young. You're already going to feel prejudice from just not having experience. And let's be real. There is racism in the world, too. You might have that coming at you. There's sexism in the world. So you got to dial it in a little bit so people get a good first impression. So you kind of professionalize your lingo, professionalize your style, professionalize your resume. You finished with an engineering degree, right? Yeah. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. I hear people all the time, and I don't know if you were ever one of them that come to me because they're doing the college works gig and they're making a bunch of money and they're loving business. They're like, I want to stop my engineering degree and get a marketing degree. Wrong. I want to give up my biology degree and get a business degree. Wrong. Um, Finance. There are some degrees that really help you later in life. Finance degree, engineering degree, the science degrees, because they open doors, right? You want to, you're good at sales. You want to go into biomed sales, a lot harder without a science degree. (laughs) You you want to go into building houses, flipping houses, real estate investing. I bet that engineering degree comes in handy quite a bit. I bet you (laughs) save tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars because you understand engineering. I don't have an engineering degree. I have an engineering company. I don't have an engineering degree. I have 26 engineers that work in my engineering company. I have to hire someone because my engineers do uh, forensic engineering. I have to hire an engineer to design how I'm going to lift my floor and pay him uh, pay him 1500 bucks to do a little schematic on lifting the floor in one of my rooms because I didn't have that degree. Think about if I was flipping houses like you, you can drop the plans yourself. You can do all this or at least understand what to look for. So yeah. You, And you got the end in mind, you're doing the engineering thing. And then you get out of college and you go to Wisconsin and you work with this real estate person because why? Well, I had two other, two of my best friends that I met doing college works. They ended up uh, going out there. Oh no. Oh, now I'm, (laughs) now I'm having the flashback. The flashback. Oh no. Oh yes. Oh yes. All the greatest people at one time from College Works, Michigan, go to Wisconsin to work with the same person. I hate that guy. And do you still talk to Aubin? Do you still talk yeah. to Aubin? 
Yeah, I you, do. You make sure you said hi and then connect me because I'm going to get her on this show too. <laughs> okay, now uh, I remember. Yeah. So you yeah, went so, there just to torture us. Yes, I remember now. Yeah, so I moved there and uh, it was Nate's cousin and he was a you know low 30s investor. He'd been doing it for probably 10-ish years or so. And I just went there and I shadowed Nate around and saw kind of what he was doing. And I talked with Caleb a little bit. That's, you know, Caleb Hayes is the guy's name. And dude, I was just like, he's just it seems like he's got everything together. He's just creating wealth at such a young age. And he's just looks like he's loving life and he's just dialed in. And I was like, I want to learn from this guy. And so I, like I said, I made my little internship position for myself. He didn't have anything created for what I was doing. And I just went there and shadowed and I learned uh, about commercial retail buildings. So, you know, these uh, little malls that you have that have like, you know, your one restaurant and then there's a shoe store and then there's a coffee place and those little places, he was buying those and he was basically renovating them and renting those out to those businesses. And so I was learning that entire thing. I managed my first fix and flip uh, there for him in Menasha, which was 30 minutes away from Green Bay. And I just learned a ton in a couple months. Uh, just eventually, I just hated Green Bay. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I visited Arizona a couple months before I moved there. And I was like, I'm going to Arizona. Yeah, you wanted to get out of that cold. Yeah. It, and you, so interesting, because I, I hear this a lot. A lot of people on the show talk about being the best person you could be every day. A lot of people on the show talk about, you know, waking up in the morning. Did I get better? They don't always talk about reading and writing and studying. So I'm glad you brought that up. And then they also mm -hmm. talk about finding mentors, but you have an interesting way that you did it. You don't get to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin and talk some dude into letting you intern for him unless you've done something before. Right. So you mm -hmm. knew in high school, I got to stand out. I got to do this sports thing. I can't get caught up in the crap. And maybe somebody listening right now got caught up in the crap in high school. So then they go to college and you knew in college, I got to get ahead. I'm going to get the science degree. I'm going to do some things. You came and worked at one of the hardest jobs you could have as a freshman. You know, not a lot of people back in the day did it as freshmen. We get a lot of freshmen now. Then you stick around because, OK, that was the hardest job I've ever had. That was an interesting summer of working 100 hour weeks. Why don't I sign up for it again? You don't do that. Why don't I go up a level and really work hard and make it all year round? You don't do that unless you're thinking down the line. So you come out of college. You've you've had 80 employees at one time. You brought in 800 grand in revenue. You had the buck stop with you. You had the customer service. You had the uh, the problem resolution. You had the quality control. In addition to the sales and all, you have all this experience. So then you go to this dude and you're like, hey, how about me? And God, I wish I would have called that guy and said, what a horrible employee you were and how he should never hire you. Uh, I wouldn't have done that. But of course, <laughs> how about me? Who's not going to say yes to that? Some 20 year old dude walks in the door, 21 year old dude and says, hey, I want to come work with you. How about me? He, he's not finding anybody like you. So if you're listening right now on 1.5 speed, you don't go get to get the great internship and the great job unless you built up to it. So you build up, build up, build up. You move, move to very, very cold Green Bay. You thought Michigan was cold. Now you're in Green Bay and you said, okay, I'm getting out of the freezer. I'm going to the fire. And you jumped over to Arizona. And, and then did you just all of a sudden go into real estate investing? No. So 
when I was in my senior year in college, I started seeing YouTube ads and I started seeing people talk about wholesale and, you know, real estate and all that stuff. And I was like, huh. So my friend Aubin, she was actually doing wholesale for Caleb. And so I moved there with the intention of kind of learning that and, you know, doing that. And I kind of got sidetracked from that and kind of what he wanted me to do. And I didn't really, I wasn't meeting a lot of young people in Green Bay. And so I went from East Lansing where everybody's young and there's always stuff going on in Green Bay. And I was like, this just isn't it for me. So I was getting away from that. And I was like, I don't want to do this in Wisconsin. I don't love it here. And I loved Arizona and all the big investors that I was like following on social media and some of these kind of like, I guess, gurus, you call them now as I know them. They were all in like Phoenix area. So I was like, I'm going to move there and I'm going to do this. And it was just one night. I remember it. I just had this epiphany and I was just kind of hanging out and I was listening to music and I just got like, I don't know. I just had this like voice inside me telling me like, you need to do this like now, like this is like a pivotal point in your life. And the next day I went in and I told Caleb, I said, Hey, I'm moving to Arizona in a month and that's it. And I picked up all my stuff. I hauled it all into my car. And I shipped myself down to Arizona. Um, I was driving an Audi and I sold my Audi right before I moved. And I got a Volkswagen and I drove it all the way across the country. It was a 28 hour drive to Phoenix. Uh, my best friend from high school was living here. So I moved into his house that uh, his mom owned and the rest was history. I knew that I was getting into it. I had hired a mentor. I paid him a couple grand to be my mentor and show me the ropes of wholesale. And I moved here and I, I just started immediately full time. You know, and I was just trying to find deals and I was working with him and, you know, just trying to figure out the industry a little bit. So you you came in, you didn't come down to Scottsdale and get a job. You came down to Scottsdale and got a mentor and went straight into real estate investing. Correct. Okay. And real quick, Abitoma, I know you're listening to this. I know you're listening. I got a lot of Jake Stewart stories to tell you. I remember all the times I would talk about Jake to Abba and then she'd clue me in as to what was really going on. I oh, gotta, yeah. <laughs> I got to catch her up to speed. She's got to hear about the VRBO that him and his friend girl rented when they got COVID with one bedroom, of course, with one bedroom. But I still don't believe anything happened. I still don't believe anything happened. Don't you look at me like that. You've been looking at me like that for years. OK, so you're in. You're in Scottsdale. Um, let's talk about what you do. So you are in the position that a lot of people want to be in. They want to get into um, real estate. Uh, usually people want to get into single family. They've been watching flip or flop and they want to do that. You've got, you do some holds where you keep the property. So you buy the property and you keep it and rent it out. I'm sure you have some equation and some analysis using that math brain of yours to figure out what to keep or you yeah. fix it and flip it. And I'm sure you also, again, are analyzing how much money do I put in? What's worth fixing? What's not flip uh, worth fixing? First of all, I got to ask you, I mean, I know you had some money because you made made cash. Where do you get the money to go into real estate investing as a 22-year-old 20, transplant into a new city? How'd you get the financing and what do you do? Yeah. So I started off in what's called real estate wholesaling. So the process of wholesaling, you actually don't flip the property yourself. You just flip the contract. So let's say, so the, the easiest example is let's say that Matt, you're my homeowner, right? You've got a property that needs a ton of work done to it. And you're kind of strapped for cash. You know, you're like, I don't have the money to fix this thing up. I need to move. I've got something going on. 
you're slightly distressed in a way, right? You're like, I'm going to move in a month. I've got a family member that's got medical bills I need to pay for. I don't really have the money. I need to move fast. I need whatever. I would like to just sell my house as is cash and like just get, get done with it, right? So I'm marketing to these types of people through texting and just cold calling them, knocking on their doors, driving around, seeing what looks distressed, et cetera. So I call them up. I say, hey, you know, I'm going to give you $300,000 cash for your house. I'm running numbers on the back end saying, hey, if I put $40,000 worth of work into this thing, it's going to be worth roughly $425. Now, I bought the house from you and I go over to my buddy and I say, hey, man, I've got this house. You know, here's pictures of it. Here's the address. I've got it under contract. You know, I would sell you the, the right to buy this property for $320,000. And he says, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So then when we come to the closing table, he buys the house for $320,000. The seller gets their $300,000. And I make, they cut me a check for twenty grand for putting the deal together. Right. And then I don't, I don't own the house. I never brought funds to closing. I never did any of that stuff. I basically just had a finder's fee for finding the deal. Right. All right. So, so let's get into the skills then. So you want to go into real estate and listen to this. We just found the answer. You got to start off as wholesale because you got no cash, but you need some skills to do wholesale. So first of all, you got to find the right deal. You just mentioned quickly run the numbers. You got to know that one, the person will take 300 grand, that that's a good deal for them. You're offering them a service of getting them out fast. Yep. Two, you can sell it for 320 and make some money and not 280 and lose some money. Right. And three, it's actually going to take 40 grand to get it to worth 420. So now this person has 360 into it. They want to make their 60 grand. You need to make your deal money. The person needed their 300 grand to get out. What are you doing to figure out the right house? And what are you doing to figure out the right person that's going to cut you into that deal when you bring it to them and not take it from you? Yeah, absolutely. So the way that it essentially works is I'm going to do marketing and I'm going to like, you know, like, like I said, through door knocking, or I'm going to find a person that's got the house, right? I'm going to look at the comps in the area and I'm going to see what is a house that's like this, that's fully done. It's fully renovated. What is that selling for? Right. And it's going to be, like I said, maybe 425 or 400, just to keep the numbers easy. I look at the square footage. I talk to some contractors. I talk to some friends and I figure out, Hey, what is my price per square foot roughly to do this renovation on this house? Right. And I come around and let's say the house is 1500 square feet. It's going to cost 25 bucks a square foot to get it done. That rehab roughly 40 grand. I think it's like 42 ish when you do the math on it. So when it all kind of comes around, that's how you work it. You work it backwards. You start with your, what's it going to resell for? Take your repair costs down. You also have money costs, you have holding costs, and you have resale costs. So you're factoring out like you're going to flip this house, right? You're like running the numbers just like you're going to flip it because you're going to sell it to a flipper, right? And then there's lots of avenues. You know, now we have social media, there's apps, there's just networking with people to find your buyer. Right. I went to a real estate event earlier in the week that had 300 different real estate investors at it. Some were wholesalers, some were creative finance people, et cetera. But you can find money there. You can find people that will buy your deals. You can find mentors. You can find all these things at these real estate events. And so we got to pause again. We got to go back in life again. You don't get to understand the market value. You don't get to understand if the bid is accurate or not accurate. 
You don't get to do that without having that internship you had in Green Bay. So there's a step there. You got to learn. You got to find the mentors. It's not you're going to go lose your butt if you haven't done that step. Then also, you don't get to cut a deal and make little money if you don't have the sales skills and the relationship building skills and the experience there. So you have all this experience from college. And if you're listening right now, don't move to Arizona. Don't go there if you haven't taken the steps and you don't have to do it in college. You don't have to do it at College Works, but you have to get some experience with sales and negotiations and working with people and reading people. And in your case, we're in a construction industry. Then you got to go get some industry specific. And I like the order. You get the soft skills first. You get the industry specific skills second. Then you move to Arizona so you can be successful. And then you didn't mention this and and you went into your definition of excellence. Be the best person you can. You can't be the best person you can. You can't grow every day in business and relationships if you don't do the homework. There's a lot of work in there. Market value, getting the bids, understanding the cost of money, understanding the amount of effort you're going to put into it. You didn't get 20 grand for doing nothing. You got right. 20 grand because you put a ton of energy into it. And there's the theme. If you want to be excellent, you're listening right now. You want to be excellent. You got to do the work. There's no way around the work. So mm-hmm. you start off, you're making 20 grand here, 20 grand there, and you end up getting enough money to start actually owning the assets. So mm-hmm. tell us about that. So again, like most really good real estate investors and like myself included <laughs> is I don't use any of my own personal money to do my deals. There's money, especially in 2022, like there's money out there that people just want to invest and get like a decent return on it. Right. So even when it comes to holding properties, like when I, when I buy properties, like I don't want to have any of my own money into it, even if I'm going to hold it, it all comes down to the math of it. Right. So I have a spreadsheet that I use that will help me basically like analyze my deal and say, Hey, if I, this is the price I need to buy it for, here's my renovations that I'm going to put into it. Here's my holding costs, my refinancing costs, all this stuff. And I know that a lender is going to give me 80% loan to value on the property. So if I'm all into the deal for 80%, when I refinance out, my lender will cut me a check for everything that I've spent into the deal thus far. And I will own the house, I'll cash flow it, and I'll have none of my own money into the actual deal. So you use your money for the 20% down, you fix up the house, you reappraise and cash out your 20% Mm -hmm. and then go do it again and do it again and do it again. And that's the system. First, you get the experience. Then you get the knowledge. Then you do the work. And then all of a sudden, bankers will give you money because they see that you know what you're doing. And you put a little money in for a period of time, which costs you money. You could have put it somewhere else. So there's a little cost there. You already mentioned that. And then you refi out your money and you can go sell it or not because you already got your money out and then you do it again and do it again and do it again. Yep. And that's how people build up these massive single family portfolios is you, you know, people kind of think like, I'm going to get into real estate and you know, this money, you either need a good partner that's got a lot of experience and has some money and like they have good connections and stuff. And like, you're going to do all the legwork and they're going to bring money and they're going to bring some, you know, networking and stuff to there. But for me, I just, like I said, I hired a mentor And I just kind of learned the ropes from him. And then I started to understand the community. I started doing more research and learning. And I was like, hey, I want to build a big single family portfolio. You know, how do I start doing this? And it's like the same thing. I just take my wholesale deals that I get already. I get those deals under contract. And then I say, hey, do I want to flip this? Do I want to hold it? Do I want to Airbnb it? Do I want to sell it to a hedge fund? Like, what do I want to do with this deal? And I explore all my exit strategies. 
But if I can ever buy a house and I can hold on to it without having any of my own money into the deal and I'll have cash flow, it'll pay me every single month. I do that every single time. I'll turn down making 40 or $50,000 like that just to hold the house because that's like the long-term wealth that I see in it. You know, it's eventually you start to turn down the short-term money and you say, Hey, I want the tax benefits. I want the cash flow. I want the appreciation. Right. And those are all those long-term things. But for the first bit of my career, every single time I was like, give me the quick money, give me the quick money, give me the quick money. Well, and, and the whole theme of this entire podcast has been that long-term mentality. So you had the long-term mentality in high school doing the sports studying. You had the long-term mentality in college. You had a good time, but you worked your butt out, butt off. Mm -hmm. You had the long-term mentality when you gave up the hundred grand offer and went and did the free job in Wisconsin. And now you got the long-term mentality looking to build wealth with your, with your hold. I got one last question for you. That's my favorite question. What sacrifices did you make in your earlier life? And I know you're only 25. A lot of people that come on this show are like 50. In your early life, what sacrifices did you make that you'll never regret that really helped you lead you to where you are today? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, first, you left me. That was a sacrifice. <laughs> you could have had a bunch more, bunch more fun times down in Mexico. And you mm -hmm. took Aubin with you. I loved her sitting we in definitely. Vegas, having her give me all my parenting advice, coming yeah. back and telling my son I'm on to him. <laughs> okay, besides those regrets, what regrets, what, what, do you, what sacrifice did you what make sacrifice? that you'll never regret? Yeah, I think the biggest sacrifice that I made was, uh, it was probably like eight or nine months ago now. When I moved here, so I guess there's a small backstory. When I moved here, there was a mentor that I hired and I did my first deal and I made like, you know, eight or nine grand on my very first deal. And then it was quick though. Like I had it under contract in three weeks. Like we were in and closing and like my mentor was listening to some of my phone calls and he like brought me on. He's like, Hey, do all my acquisitions. So I went from moving here to start my own business. to then I started working for him. And after I did, and I did that and I loved it. And I was like, we're going to take this company to moon. Like we're all going to be working together for 20, 30 years. Like let's go like long-term game. Right. And some stuff just happened that was out of my control. And one day I woke up and some people that I was working with did some shady stuff. And the business owners thought that I was in on it. And we were all good friends. And the thing kind of exploded. And they were like, I didn't know if I was going to work there anymore or not. Like, I didn't know if they were like, hey, like come back and work or like not. Like the other two people that were involved, like they split up and went their own ways and stuff, right? And so I didn't know if like I was the top performer. I was making, you know, multiple six figures there. And I didn't know if I was going to have a job the next day. And that was something that catapulted me into like, I need to go do my own thing. Like even like I need to take the set, like, you know, I could have went back to the next month and made $35,000 that the next month, you know? And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start back from square one. I'm going to go start my own business and I'm going to build this thing up because I want to know that like every single morning that I wake up, there's no one other than me that's going to tell me that I can't work or that like I can't make money now or something. And so I made that sacrifice. I turned down making like three hundred dollars or $400,000, like almost guaranteed like that year to go and start my own thing and start back from square one where I'm investing my own money. I'm negatively cash flowing my first couple months, spending money on marketing and CRM and like getting my business back up to like building it. You know, like I was like, I moved here in 2019 to build it. And then that got delayed. Right. And I learned a ton, but it was delayed. And so that was my biggest sacrifice. Is I got away from the people that I knew were going to be successful. 
right? But just that one thing, it just set off a trigger in me and I sacrificed that. I sacrificed that immediate instant money to go and build my own thing because I was like, I need that security in my life knowing that like I'm going to wake up and I'm in control of everything. There's nobody that can tell me what I can or can't do. And I want to build something for myself, not build something for somebody else. And that was my biggest sacrifice to think that I've made in my life was just taking that leap of faith, like nine months. And I had had people for years tell me, why do you work for somebody else? You can go do this for yourself. You can go do this for yourself. And it took that to get me to the point of being like, let me go do this for me. You know, interesting. You said you needed security. Uh, It sounds like the opposite. Sounds like you left comfort and you left security for uncomfortable, insecure entrepreneurship, scary entrepreneurship, get your own money entrepreneurship, um, mm-hmm. eat what you kill entrepreneurship, but your mind's weird, right? you get that weird entrepreneur mind. It's, I call it uh, the yeah. entrepreneur's optimism. It only exists in the entrepreneurial mind where it's more comfortable to leave the paycheck of 35 grand a month and go to zero paycheck and make it happen. But that's mm-hmm. your biggest sacrifice. Your biggest sacrifice is leaving comfort, but it became more comfortable because you're a weird dude. You got that weird entrepreneurial optimism inside your head. And, and Cody, I really appreciate you taking time to uh, stop analyzing deals and stop calling your vendors and your contractors and get away from your investors to come on the show and share this wonderful path to become somebody like you are and lay it all out the way you laid it out. I really appreciate you coming on the show and you're sharing your excellence with us. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. It's been a, it's been a great time. It's been good seeing you again. Yeah. And make sure you let Abba know that I'm going to be out for her on this show too. So I, I got to catch up with her. You brought back some really funny memories. <laughs> I definitely will. We had some good times. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the edge of excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.